Our sermon passage this morning is actually a song. We're not singing it, but we're reading the words that Mary wrote. This is called, uh, in church history, it's been called the Magnificent, which you don't need to know. That's just a fancy word um, for a great song. And (laughs) it really is. Um, But these are the words that came from Mary's mouth after this announcement had been made to her. And we didn't read the passage. She goes and visits her cousin Elizabeth who she's just heard is pregnant and she can't believe it. And when she arrives, John the Baptist, we probably should have just read that passage too. Um, John the Baptist, who is an uh, uh, embryo, (laughs) who is a fetus in her womb. When Mary walks into the room, he begins to leap with joy because it is the arrival of Mary who is pregnant with Jesus, the Son of God. And when Elizabeth celebrates and delights with her, Mary opens her mouth and says this, printed for you in your bulletin from Luke chapter 1, 46-56. And Mary said, My soul glorifies the Lord, and my spirit rejoices in God my Savior, for He has been mindful of the humble state of His servant. From now on, all generations will call me blessed, for the Mighty One has done great things for me. Holy is His name. His mercy extends to those who fear Him from generation to generation. He has performed mighty deeds with His arm. He has scattered those who are proud in their inmost thoughts. He has brought down rulers from their thrones, but He has lifted up the humble. He has filled the hungry with good things, but He has sent the rich away empty. He has helped His servant Israel, remembering to be merciful to Abraham and his descendants forever just as He promised our ancestors. Let's pray. Father, I thank You for Your Word. I thank You that You have revealed Scripture to us to let us know who You are and what You're up to, and so to let us know who we are in You. And I thank You for these words that we have just read, words that Mary sang and said while she was pregnant with Jesus. So I pray in these moments as we reflect on who Mary is, this woman who was the mother of God, that you would move upon our hearts to see the Lord Jesus Christ, to see the glory of your gospel, and to trust in you all the more. We pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen. Interruption. I think we kind of all dislike being interrupted. It's not, I say interruption and it's not a good word. It means your plans have just gone awry. It means what you thought was supposed to be happening um, isn't happening anymore. I'm not really good with interruptions in, in general. But I say the word interruption because in truth it's the essence. It's the very essence of what God does. He interrupts. He interrupts. We can see this throughout Scripture. If you open up the Bible and you read the first 11 chapters of the book of Genesis, the very first book in the Bible, you don't come away with a lot of hope. It starts out great, God creating everything and declaring it very good. He delights in what He's made and creates humanity in His image to copy Him, to mirror Him, to value what He values and love what He loves. And that seems really good. But very quickly, humanity descends into cycles of violence and sin and selfishness. And those first 11 chapters are just not hopeless, but it is cycles of sin and violence. 
And it looks like human history is just going to be the rise and fall of different empires and kingdoms and failures and death and futility. But in Genesis chapter 12, God interrupts. He interrupts the life of an ordinary man named Abraham. Nothing special about this man at all. But God interrupts his life and he tells him to go to a place that he does not know to leave everything he's ever known. And he declares to Abraham that what God is up to is not just interrupting his individual life, that through Abraham and his descendants, God is going to interrupt this cycle. He's going to interrupt the reality of darkness and sin and violence. And he is going to bring blessing, not curse. He is going to bring grace, not condemnation. And this promise that God made to Abraham, that through his descendants that this was going to take place in our world, it's the very center, it's the thread that runs through Scripture. It's the first interruption, but not the last. In a sense, if you keep reading on in the Old Testament, it is one long written witness, written testimony of God continuing to interrupt, to make that promise that he made to Abraham a reality. And uh, reading through the Old Testament, you'll see so many times when it seems like the, 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 the descendants of Abraham go off track. Everything looks like it's derailing and God interrupts again to make sure this promise is not left in the hands of faulty and sinful men and women. You know, we've looked at these mothers of Jesus that are in his genealogy from Matthew 1. There are instance after instance of God interrupting in remarkable and unexpected ways. A few months ago, earlier this year, we were in the book of Exodus. That is God interrupting the slavery of his people to bring them to freedom to establish a kingdom that has this promise at the very center. God interrupts. And the testimony, the witness of the Old Testament is God interrupting over and over again, pushing back until it ends with a sigh almost, a whimper. If you've ever gotten through the entirety of the Old Testament, it ends with the promises not fulfilled. It ends in darkness. There's a glimmer, a smattering of hope. But God made some, He wrote some really big checks early on, talking to Abraham, and they're not cashed. And you have to wonder, is God just done? (laughs) Is He sick of interrupting? Is He just going to let humanity sleep in the bed that it's made? And for a while, it seems that way. There are 400 years from the end of the Old Testament to the time of Jesus, and it feels like silence. It feels like God is done Until one day he interrupts again. He interrupts again in a small town, less than 500 people. I've said it before, uh, Nazareth, where Mary's from, where Jesus grew up, is the size of Spivey's Corner. It's not a big place. But God interrupts again in a tiny town, less than 500 people. God calls forth in the womb of this young woman named Mary what all of human history could not make happen. A human being... A man who would not trade in violence and sin. A man who would not disregard God and disregard other people. And into poverty. 
into this backwater town, an angel spoke to Mary these words, Greetings, you who are highly favored. The Lord is with you. God was interrupting again. And this was the interruption. This was the interruption that he had promised all along. His light was not finished shining. It was only beginning to burst forth. And the angel says to Mary what we read earlier. You're going to conceive. You're going to give birth to a son. And you're to call him Jesus. Which means God saves. This is his very name. He will be great. And he'll be called the son of the most high. The Lord God will give him the throne of his father David. And he will reign over Jacob's descendants forever. And his kingdom will never end. It seems nonsense. It's a town of less than 500 people. And Mary was probably 12 years old. Maybe 13. Silence for 400 years. And God chooses to come to Spivey's Corner. Is his GPS coordinates off? Like, did he put in the wrong... Did he misspell Rome? Or, you know, did he misspell the town? It seems nonsense. Not just because of that. Mary says, how is this going to happen? How will this be? I'm a virgin. And the angel answers, the Holy Spirit will come on you. Will come upon you. And the power of the Most High will overshadow you. So the Holy One to be born will be called the Son of God. And then he adds an interesting note. Even Elizabeth, your relative, is going to have a child in her old age. And she who is said to be unable to conceive is in her sixth month, and he adds these words, which I feel like I should just get a tattoo of this, for no word from God will ever fail. Elizabeth was a cousin of Mary's who had recently become pregnant unexpectedly. Pregnant with a man, or a baby who would eventually become a man, named John the Baptist, or John the Baptizer. And he was a forerunner. He was a prophet that prepared the way for Jesus years later. And I want to pause in that moment and see this, that here we have God interrupting. Again, not in Rome, not in the halls of power, not in the palaces of wealth, but on the forgotten edges of our world. In a woman, a virgin, a woman too old to conceive. In a woman who was past her prime, so to speak, and infertile. And a woman who was a virgin, yet it is in their wombs, in their bodies, that God nurtures and brings forth First John from Elizabeth and her husband Zechariah, crying out for people to prepare for the kingdom of God that was arriving. And then in the womb of Mary, Jesus, the eternal Son of God, taking on flesh to dwell with us. But Mary wasn't just... This like passive vessel that God decided to use. She wasn't like a mailbox and God said, this is just the mailbox that I'm putting the, the, the delivery in. Mary is actually one of the most, to me, complex and interesting people in all of Scripture. Now, our manger scenes can miss this. I've got a manger scene in my front yard. Our manger scenes can miss this. Because we put them up every year, and our songs at Christmas can undercut this, because we sing about her being, what? Our picture of Mary is that she's this almost silent girl. She's wide-eyed and innocent, very passive. A little girl holding a baby that she's just given birth to. It's like she's 
forever frozen in this moment when her son was born. Like she only serves the story as being the doorway that God used to become one of us. And in our imaginations, I think it's easy for Mary to stay there. Like she belongs to the, the, the stable just like the donkeys do. But if we keep reading in the Gospels, you keep reading Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, we don't see a Mary who got everything right. Mary had an angel declare to her that she was going to give birth to a Savior. Mary had a, was a virgin and conceived a baby in her womb. Yet, later on down the road, we see a Mary that had heard all these words and experienced all these experiences and when Jesus starts to enter into his time of teaching, into his time of public ministry, she tried to stop him. When it becomes time for him to begin to preach, and he's gathering around him the wrong kind of people. He's gathering around him sinners and prostitutes. She shows up with his brothers and tries to silently put him away. And when she doesn't do that, she tries to control what he does. That's what happens in John chapter 2. Mary was complicated, y'all. When it came time for her son to walk down the path that would lead to our salvation and her salvation. For Mary was a sinner too. When it came time for him to walk down that path for our salvation and for her salvation, she struggled to let him go knowing that what was told to her when he was an infant was coming true, a sword will pierce your soul. And when he went to his crucifixion, in that scene, Jesus naked, his body torn apart, shamed and mocked, we see Mary there, defiant in the face of Roman power, refusing to leave her son, Certainly not wide-eyed and innocent. Certainly not silent and holding a baby. A woman who had seen God interrupt and continued to interrupt, but could not understand how it all pieced together. Couldn't make heads or tails of it. A woman who had sang this song as a brave young girl, and I'm sure continued to sing it. It's why we have it in Scripture, because she remembered singing it and saying it probably over and over but who struggled. A complicated woman wrestling with God's plan. A complicated woman like me. Well, I'm not a woman, but I'm complicated. A complicated person like you guys. Yet God interrupts her complicated, and He won't stop. God interrupts our complicated. And the interruption of Jesus is the interruption that changes everything. It is the decisive statement of God that He will not let the story of human history be decided by us. It is like an author writing a story and the characters go off on, with a mind of their own and they're going to wreck everything and God, as the author, enters the story as a character to write a new ending for His creations. That God will complete the human story by rewriting it Himself, by becoming one of us, so that He can complete what we cannot, that He can succeed where we will always fail, and in His success bring us along with Him. He's not left us alone. He's not left us to sleep in the beds that we make. He's not left us in our own devices. He's not left us to our own sins or the sins of other people against us. He is interrupted. 
entirely by grace, and that is what we celebrate this morning. The gifts are great, the hot chocolate's great, the eggnog is disgusting, but some people like it. But what we celebrate is that God has interrupted so that we might find home, and not just home for the holidays, so we might find home for eternity, that we complicated people will find home, that we will be cleansed in our hearts and set free, that we may begin now and for the rest of eternity walk in the fact that the most important fact about us is that we are delighted in by the God of the universe, that the God of interruptions would interrupt and move heaven and earth to find us. Because that baby that Mary birthed grew to become a man in every way like us, but without sin. I said this a few weeks ago. I don't think five minutes span has gone by in my life where I did not sin. (laughs) In some way or another. And I probably know only the half of what that is. In thought, word, or deed, where I did not mess up, but he lived 33 years on this earth and never once gave way to selfishness. Never once gave way to using other people. Never once gave way to disregarding God or other people. He became like us in every way except for sin. But the darkness of our world did not know what to do with that, so it, they, it killed him. The darkness of our world did not know what to do with a man that does not trade in sin and selfishness. And so the political authorities and the religious authorities, they killed him. Yet that cross became a place where he willingly took on death. The punishment that sins deserve. And he faced every bit of that on our behalf so that we could be forgiven and freed. That baby became a man, a dead man, in a grave. Seemingly overcome by sin and death. Yet God interrupted again on that Easter morning interrupted even that power of death, and He brought forth from that tomb a resurrected Jesus, victorious, raised in vindication. In that resurrection of Jesus, the Father saying, Amen, to all that Jesus was and all that Jesus did. And friends, that's our hope. For there is not an enemy of our soul that He has not overcome. Not a single one. There is not a sin that he is of yours that he has not bore in his body and bore the punishment for. Not a single one. There is not a wound in your soul or in your body that he will not heal. If not in the here and now, in the new heavens and new earth, there is not a story of yours that he will not redeem. There is not a chain he will not break. This morning we celebrate the interruption of God for us. And we become, like Mary, complicated people that are enabled to sing this song after her and along with her. And we, in a way not like her, are enabled to bear Him into our world. We don't become physically pregnant with the Son of God. But while Mary was the first complicated person to bear Jesus into our world, she's not the last. We aren't physically pregnant with a baby, Jesus, in our womb, but we bear Him into the world. The same Holy Spirit that formed the body of Jesus in her womb is given to us. This empowering, life-giving presence of God renewing us inwardly, day by day, in ways that show themselves in actions on the outside. This is the imagery of pregnancy. 
Which means in the gospel, we become people who are pregnant with the possibilities of God's grace. That's who we are. We are pregnant with the possibilities of God's yes. Or or better yet, we are pregnant with the presence of God who brings His mercy to the humble. And it comes out from within. So this morning, lean in on the interruption of God and Jesus. Know that Christmas is a whole lot more than just a birthday party for Jesus. That is actually the beginning of a celebration that will never cease the arrival of our God into our world to set us free, the God whose interruptions will not stop until, as we will sing in just a moment, until His blessings are known as far as the curse of sin is found. Let's pray. Father, thank You for the good news that Christmas declares to us. Not just uh, an abstract peace on earth and goodwill toward men, Yes, bring peace and goodwill, Lord. But it declares to us the announcement of a victory won for us. Something that happened objectively outside of us that means everything to us. Something that we did not contribute anything to. I thank you, Lord, that your grace found us. That you entered into our world in your Son to rewrite our story That we could be forgiven and transformed and set free and given hope and a home. So I pray, imprint all of this on our hearts as we are exchanging gifts and we are eating and we are enjoying the next uh, few days, this next week in parties and get-togethers. May we be mindful of this. May we be mindful of all of this. I pray all this in the name of Jesus. Amen.